Um, okay. So Leipzig experienced on New Year's Eve brutal riots from left extremists. Police Sick. were attacked. Beamte, cool. uh, so a civil official, um, had Sorry. to be had to have an emergency operation in the hospital. The German police union woo, <laughs> warns of the growing militants of the left scene. That's all I got. They don't even mention the RAF again. Oh, it's just in the title. I don't have Build Plus, so I can't read uh, further. I'm imagining what his surgery was for, and I really hope it was something just like a firework just got <laughs> shoved up his ass. Like, that'd be sick. It's probably something stupid, like he like tripped and like bumped his head or something. Like a really tiny banger went off in front of him, and he just got startled and fell backwards down a hill. <laughs> he just, he just, like, he, he, a fucking firework just goes off like way too close to his, like, I don't know, fucking like riot shield mask or whatever. And then he just has the fucking Saving Private Riot like opening seat just in front. <laughs> it's like really tragic music, but it's just people holding sparklers and smiling. He's just like, ah. Someone just like carrying way too many fireworks, just like slowly going past him. So I think, uh, I think ultimately my last point and like the whole idea of banning the very, uh, apparently it's West German uh, tradition of just going buck wild on New Year's. Uh, it's an East German thing too, but it was yeah. controlled by the state. Ah, right. It was yep. better. Fair enough. But I think the the thing about it is... Because the problem with the current conception, I think Nick is more on the line of just like it being a bit more regulated and, you know, everyone still gets to go wild, but like in a less dangerous way. Think of the kitty cats and the puppies. Okay, but you literally can't regulate it. It's one of those problems where. What are you going to do? You can. Okay, they go to Poland anyway to buy the fireworks. And then we. We Poland! You're just going to have hundreds of police like like chilling in Neukölln? To look for like <laughs> anyone who might be getting a little too wild look, on no. New Year's Eve. I know that there's no solution. Look, I know it's gonna get racialized. I take it back, but yeah. Germany in 1939 was just trying to ban <laughs> Poland. <laughs> um, yeah, but I guess that's the, the the other side of it is that like everyone who's talking about this, all the like fucking German article cranks of like von Hieronymus and uh, uh, Poland. Uh, whatever is just like their their position on it was we need to like outright enforce a ban on this which would just be impossible without like horrifying oppression which you're right will be completely racialized. Um, I do think that like um, the sale of fireworks should be heavily restricted, but like you said too, it like now that I think about it, it doesn't fucking matter because yeah, everyone just goes to Poland, they get their fucking whatever it is, and again the only solution is them. To either um, get rid of Poland, which mm-hmm. right now maybe not the worst. <laughs> like, well, yeah, Germany's tried it before, didn't? It? No, 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 <laughs> not Germany. I don't want Germany to get rid of Poland. That's bad. That's oh, that's right. Nazism. Um, we get rid of Poland. Oh, the four of us. I, I do <laughs> want to argue further, despite the fact. So I don't want to rest on my laurels that obviously it'll be racialized, the increased police presence. I do think it's fun, and it should stay. And people don't seem to get very hurt. So I defend the. Um, tell that to the one uh, police them. officer who tripped and fell yeah, on his yeah. on his. Uh, <laughs> I like all the people making them out to be like like super dangerous. I mean, I know you know if they're improperly used, yeah, you can hurt yourself. It's shocking more people aren't hurt the way the fireworks are just like blasted off. Like literally everyone in everyone in Berlin, everyone in Berlin is like that vine of the guy who's like my money real good spraying gas everywhere, but with <laughs> like you know fireworks <laughs> with their puho just like throwing it. Out the window. My money is here good. <laughs> um, this reminds me of that Money Boy video that I sent you guys today. But yeah. it is, it is like you know, the, there are a lot, there are more more guns in Germany than people think. But 
I like oh, to Im- yeah. I like to imagine that like uh, this is like <laughs> the most advanced weaponry we have. I'm going to start like the German, you know, Socialist Rifle Association by training everyone with Fires. Socialist Roman Candle Association <laughs> or something. I will definitely now you you change. You will not game. take you know. I feel like there's a decent like we are armed an armed citizenry. I feel like there's a decent left wing comedy film to be had and just like you know four friends trying to start a socialist revolution during Sylvester because of the chaos. <laughs> I literally I literally tweeted that that you could yeah. do like you could have you could literally overthrow the government in Berlin on Sylvester and no one would fucking notice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we should do that. Like <laughs> next year we're all oh, gonna yeah, meet cut that, cut that. <laughs> in oh, Minecraft. Yeah. Find the paywall. <laughs> yeah. Um we're all gonna meet uh on the thirty or thirty first or whatever. We're all gonna just, you know, do the classic thing. I feel like we need thing. more prep than that. But yeah. <laughs> I, I Me th- and, you know, 600 of my coolest friends. And we're going to, you know... Uh, d- well, my revolutionary guard friends. <laughs> I do. Yeah. I do. Uh, shout out You're to... You're listening Gre- to Radio T-Rod. <laughs> uh, shout out to Greta. I do think we should say... Anytime you say that, you just say... It's an expression in Swedish. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to use the pretext of New Year's Eve to overthrow the state and, you know, liquidate our enemies. I'm so- it's a Swedish expression. You it, don't, it means you don't to have your cake <laughs> and eat it too. Right? Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to your weekly corner spatey in the new decade, decade, decade. Um, we actually changed our name. As I may have mentioned beforehand, it may have gotten cut. Um, with the recent troubles going on in, uh, uh, you know... The world. The world, geopolitics, whatever the yeah. fuck you want to call it. Um, we're getting a lot of money now from uh, one very nice um, uh, Patreon subscriber. Mm-hmm. Um, happens to, you know, be uh, Ayatollah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cut it again, cut it again. Why? <laughs> the people can't know about this. Oh, This yeah. is actually the everyone... Um, uh, not everyone on Twitter when people warn about like Iran has serious covert operations yeah, that us. they can strike back with. It's no, it's Ayatollah Khomeini giving us some money and then go and then doing the podcast circuits and going on every yeah, left wing podcast. He will he will be on here like we don't we, we don't know exactly. He's a busy, know, he, he's a busy he, guy. He, he's you a, unleashed the potential. Yeah. We DM'd him on Twitter. He said, "Cool, I'll check out your." Also, pod, uh, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad <laughs> also uh, got you know yes, got back he, to exactly. Him. He was king. He's tipping his hand. Iran's Iran's hand. So uh, you're now listening to uh, Radio. Yeah. Kieran, mm-hmm. um, uh, I myself am Nick. It's me, Kieran. I have opinions on the Baluch. I think they're all dumb. <laughs> I think that's comedy in Iran. <laughs> Hi, it's Rob. And um, Yulia wasn't so cool. She, she was weirdly pro Shaw, so uh, mm, we yeah. had to get rid of her in the new year. Now she's uh, she'll be back next week. But um, yeah. Uh, we're, uh, 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 you know, kind of, 2010s were weird, you know, we were, yeah. we were, you know, thinking that the socialism thing was going to, you know, pick up a little bit yeah. more than it did. Turn, turned out to be a bit of a bust, so now, yeah. um, now not, we're... Not the good kind of busting that you do with your homies. And no. Like a firework that didn't set off properly. And then you go to pick it up and it blows off your pinky. <laughs> <laughs> if you have to be a police officer yeah. in Leipzig, <laughs> it's more like those, uh, like Rob was saying earlier, the the, the Franco crank, where you uh, when you when you bust on someone special and there's the Moroccan guard is looking on from a distance, slitting the throat of your enemies. Yeah, yeah, Franco crank. We were, uh, I don't know, us and these smarter people who wrote articles <laughs> were definitely <laughs> reflecting on the fact of how. Uh, um, I, 
I saw this. Can you stop chewing? <laughs> um, I saw this word like in the 2010s of of is it like left populism and shit like that thrown around willy nilly. And I never like. I think we like briefly touched on it on the show of what is it like? What is like? Oh, the the Yasha Monk episode. The yeah. uh, you know absolute king of all things populism, who in no way uh, helped the right in every election this year. Mm-hmm. Um, with his stupid fucking takes, um, but I think we like briefly d- addressed it on this show for a second of like what populism in Germany means. But I do think that now we kind of have to, you know. I mean, yeah, that episode was more about like Yashmin being cool. How the liberal media used the term populism. We didn't really go into how we would use it. And so what it even is, I guess, like from a left mm. perspective. But, you know, we're here. We're going to do it now, finally. New year, new me. And the other podcast hosts, I guess. Uh, <laughs> new us, new us. <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess we can we can talk a little bit about left populism. Um, is it dead? It is. Has it just begun? Uh, I I hear this Occupy Wall Street has a real chance. Uh, so let's hear them out. Imagine being an Occupy Wall Street person in 2020. <laughs> yeah, I'm coming back around. Let's go. I just heard about it from this great new Aaron Sorkin show called The Newsroom. <laughs> I don't know. Some dude on the fucking uh, tram came up and told me about it. Like, no joke. That actually happened to me. And I, like... I don't know. I was like, because I tried to do like Occupy Phoenix, and that like there was nothing. There's nothing to fuck. Wait, wait. You on a tram? Yeah, yeah. In Germany? In Phoenix? You have trams in Phoenix? There's one tram, yes. And this guy, Fancy. this guy came to wow. me in a fucking uh, uh, Guy Fox mask. <laughs> <laughs> Brother, it's time, and he handed you one. I was jealous. I was jealous of the trams in Phoenix for a minute there, and now I just realized they're terrible places. Yeah. No, one time I was on there too, and there was a guy who was dressed in full Juggalo shit, like face makeup and everything. Cool. Turned out to be my friend's neighbor. <laughs> yes. In Phoenix, where everyone knows your name, <laughs> and they're always glad you came. So you may have heard your other favorite podcast do a decade in review uh i didn't think of doing that none of us did so we didn't yo but fuck 2010 all my losses were lessened. we have i was thinking we should watch the newsroom which is a show that deals with the news that happened like five years prior so it would just be a decade in review be great it does all the hits it it gives a fair shake to occupy have you guys seen the the newsroom episode where they they talk about occupy shut up they um it's it takes place like they're you know they're trying to make sure the story doesn't break and some poli- and and they're just like be quiet be quiet and then some police officers come up and they're like what's going on here and he just stares at his uniform and he says sir why don't you be the first one to know that we we've we've crushed Zuccotti Park <laughs> 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 the, the police officers turn and shake each other's hands and say hug and smile well, we got him <laughs> that's an actual scene from that show which is so not 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 the Occupy Wall Street thing but I thought that you were like Guys, actually gonna... I, I'm pitching it now live in the pod. Watching a series of the newsroom. Oh god! <laughs> as bonus, content. I've only seen that scene, and You're I did... watching the whole thing, man. Oh god, no! I've only seen that scene, and I refuse to believe that was a real show. It oh my god! Seem real, does it? No, it doesn't. That seems like literally just like out of the fantasy of some. It was. I, I, saw that, I know that it is. I saw oh, that god. guy again in uh, in in my Christmas viewing of John Wick Two. He plays a fireman. 
Does he also get approached and is like, sir, we need to tell you. <laughs> John Wick, we need to tell you. <laughs> we got him. We got him. He's been compromised to him. <laughs> no, no, in lieu of doing a decade in review, or I think this is actually quite an appropriate decade in review, we are discussing the term left populism mm. thanks to a somewhat well-timed... Anton Yeager. Yeah. A, a, or Jaeger. A, a well-timed uh, article from Jacobin. Um, that is the wrong article. Yeah, we're uh, fucking canceled. We're reading a Jacobin article on the pod. We bet the house on left populism and lost by Anton Yeager, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is a pretty succinct look. Uh, he's actually written a lot. We'll, we'll mention that in a minute. A lot about populism for Jacobin. Yeah. I think it's a pretty succinct summary and analysis of the left movements um, of Europe in the 2010s. Predominantly which, in Europe. There's a little bit of stuff that happens in North America. but yeah. yeah, but if we're talking about the decade in review in Europe, uh, it basically starts with the financial crisis and ends three days ago. Um, so this is... The invasion of Iran. Basically a pretty good topic <laughs> to cover it. Yeah, it also kind of serves as a decade in review for the upcoming decade because it asks a lot of questions about what do... What do you know? The famous uh, the the book that Lennon read it like. Um, what, what do? do? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. yes, uh, uh, better Lennon's favorite book of what it do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's there, you know pe- people disagree about the translation. I I think that's more accurate personally. <laughs> um, okay, Lennon, let's begin. Lennon's actually from fucking Bronx. <laughs> <laughs> what is um, so I'm just gonna read the whole thing. It's not that long. Uh, and li- we will just go off track, fair warning, ahead of time Woo. when we get on some topic. Mm. So, like I said, it's by Anton Yeager. He's just some PhD student. Uh, we maybe should have called him up or something. Um, <laughs> four years ago, we celebrated Europe's left populist push. Now we have to look seriously at, wh- at how little was accomplished and what might have been lost. So it's definitely sounding a pretty negative tone. I mean, we yeah. bet the house and lost. Uh, he has a few other... Ri- he, has, he has written a lot for Jacobin, actually. Um, just a few selections I've pulled. Um, one here is Populism versus Socialism. Mm-hmm. Um, he, there's a review of uh, Chantal Mouffe. Chantal Mouffe, yep. I said it right. Um, She's like the the kind of like academic authority on the idea of left populism. She's like one of the biggest literary ac- advocates of it. Yeah, she, uh, he wrote the recent uh, co-authored with Amber from Chapo, The Corbin Lost, But Bernie Can, wa- can Win. Mm. Um, so th- there's a lot in here about an idea of left populism. Um, but like I said, I think this article is a pretty good summary. The guy's got receipts. Let's begin. Again on the wrong article. Okay. Four years ago... British journalist Paul Mason found himself uncontrollably excited. Um, first of all, Paul Mason has been excited very often yeah, <laughs> in, yeah, yeah, in yeah. the last four years. I think a few months ago, he was uncontrollably excited. <laughs> they voted down Brexit in Parliament. We've won. <laughs> Can you explain for people who don't know who Paul Mason is? Someone here? Yeah, I absolutely. learned who he was a month and a half ago. A month and a half ago. When people were dragging his ass, getting his ass on Twitter. Mm. Paul Mason was a journalist for 
uh, I don't know. He's just kind of just been around. He's, he's one of those British left wing people who's like, I don't know where he's coming from. They're always there. <laughs> They're just writing. People listen to them. I they mean, do interviews. The, the, bit, the big book was uh, Post Capitalism by Paul Mason. It's, it's an uh, interesting book, yeah. Yeah, because that was like. And also, that was like uh, that had like a lot of mainstream success ish. Because I remember, I remember taking a flight in 2016 where I was in W. H. Smith. If anyone knows, it, it's like a like a British bookshop chain, just like at an airport. Yeah. And it was like you know in an airport bookshop where you expect like all the things to be like uh, my struggle by Paris Hilton or something, and like the, like these kind of books. But then like the top selling book was like, I don't know, some fiction of the time. And the second top selling book was post-capitalism by Paul Mason. And this was after like Brexit vote and Trump getting the nomination. It was like, yeah, the world's fucked. Cool. I get it. Like, there's something to be said about a book called Post-Capitalism being in fucking W.H. Smith. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just surprised that Paris Hilton either is Knausgaard or Hitler. Like, <laughs> I'm... No, 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 no. Uh, not Mein Kampf. My struggle. Completely different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. So Paul Mason was just kind of this... He, uh, yeah, like, like it mentioned in the thing, he was a journalist who worked for Channel 4, I think. Mm. He's written for pretty much everyone in the UK. Um was always, like, on the left side of labor, kind of, like, just a, a typical trot in a lot of senses. But, all like, all in all, like, working-class background, this and that and that. Never was any, like, yeah, like, like, like Kieran said, post-capitalism, which is always, like, I don't know, in my opinion, that was always kind of a thing of, like, how to, like, kind of, like, brush in some Marxist ideas to, like, friends of yours who, like, weren't really... Without saying it. Exactly, yeah, because he, like, mentions Marx about, like, oh, like, let's take this, like, idea, then, of, of his, like, theory of... of like labor and like theory of, of value and stuff like that and kind of like let's let's base that then you know with technology and so on so on so forth they're playing into digital economy exactly a running yeah. theme today perhaps Go yeah on. and so um yeah he so he, he he kind of got really big really quick i would say from that and it's just been kind of like stumbling downward because he he does he says these really weird gaffes where he'll like tweet in multiple languages incorrectly Whom's amongst us? Yeah, and it's just it's it's really funny, and he's like, I think the most recent thing, the thing that you were saying that then he just got dragged on Twitter for was being like, um, NATO's good. <laughs> like, what's so big? Like, what's what's so problematic about this? You know, uh, fucking hellscape machinery of capital that or militarized machinery of capital that then keeps capitalism afloat. Apparently, nothing. So, let's so keep if, it. if I may, so like I said, I've just found out about him. So if I can venture. What I've learned, and you guys can correct me. Mm. Um, like I said, he's longtime Labour member, public yeah. intellectual of some was sort. Was really pro Corbyn before yeah. other people were pro Corbyn. Yeah, he was. Uh, yeah. he was one of the first out there. I think one of like one of these breakaway moments was in like the initial contention about like Corbyn becoming leader and him like spreading all the like left wing things that Corbyn does. Um, Paul Mason was like, he, there's this great clip. I, I can't remember of him being like, look, if you want. A centrist Blairite party, form you your can, own you can fucking get out. party. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Uh, Posting capitalism, bro. And he he said this to a group of people who were just violently booing. Yeah, him. yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, because he was he was always very good at being like a left wing uh, member of Labour that would talk to the centre or right wing members of Labour. Um, never to any real benefit because they all fucking hated him. Yeah. So, but from what I understand, along with this um, being pro Corbyn, he was very, very pro Europe. Let's say 
the concept of the of old, of Europe wide left. Yeah. Um, it's and, very hard to like, and, be on the left and like NATO and not the EU. Well, yeah, and, 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 and the EU and circle. NATO. I love, I love NATO. I don't fuck with the EU though. Yeah, I can, I can square that circle. You, get, you know, you get one hit of Europe, and then it's like I can stop at EU. <laughs> then, then you're defending two percent, two percent of national spending on defense. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So uh, it's not a mistake. I think the uh, Jaeger, our friend here, uh, starts with Paul Mason very um, for a very pointed reason, because he's saying this is. I think it's used as a um, a telltale sign of this left populism. Let's continue oh, on. How the mighty have fallen, basically. Well, where this leads you, yeah, this, yeah, yeah, yeah. which we will discuss. Okay. Leaves you lonely on Twitter defending NATO. It leaves you, at least in 2015. He was standing in the middle of Athens's Syntagma Square, surrounded by thousands of Greek protesters singing songs and chanting slogans from the country's fight against the dictatorship of the 1970s. Ahead of him was Alexis Tsipras, leader of a six-month-old government, now stuck in a protracted battle with European authorities. Tsipras had been campaigning for a no vote, in the referendum scheduled for the next day, launched as the last move in a standoff with the Eurogroup and the International Monetary Fund, IMF, for those who don't know. Thank you, Jacqueline. Mason himself had been following these events closely for Britain's Channel 4 News, as well as informing followers on Twitter and drafting rousing columns for The Guardian. Mason was hardly alone in his excitement. Jacobin published dozens of articles on the drama. Mm. In a July 2015 video, the American anarchist David Graeber said that Syriza would, quote, bring down the international financial system, end quote. While philosopher Tony Negri, always Wait. up for a revolt, thought that a, quote, true social Europe was now incoming. You're telling me that an anarchist defended Syriza? David Graeber doesn't like being called an anarchist, actually. Oh, yeah. shots fired. No, I'm just thinking of the, like, like... I don't know. Kieran, quick, quick on the draw. <laughs> <laughs> no, because like even like immediately in that thing, like Greek anarchists still fucking hated Syriza when they came up because they're like, this is all talk and no fucking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. never yeah, mind. Keep uh, going. David Graeber prefers being called a left populist. <laughs> I don't know. That sorry. <laughs> okay. But, yeah, he he calls himself I, though actually because this is a very interesting thing. He calls himself an anarchist anthropologist in the same way you can have like Marxist historians that aren't Marxists. He's like he, he my favorite kind of a story, <laughs> where he basically like does the whole like analysis from like a, a criticism of hierarchy and like you know and you know talking from below rather than above like view of anthropology, but not like being someone who proselytizes the idea that we need to like have radical unions. Or no, 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 that's fine. Like I understand, and props for him for taking a like an interesting analysis to, to uh, um, anthropology. Mm. But I just like the analogy that it's like you know those Marxist historians who aren't actually Marxists. It's like oh you mean the sh- oh you mean the shitty ones? Like just be a Marxist. <laughs> like I, how is that a defense of my position? Like no no no, it's just it's just in academia. You know when yeah, I go yeah, home yeah. I'm gonna live. Don't worry. It's like yeah, it's like that one fucking guy who's like always like showing you stuff. He's like bro, doesn't this fucking suck like isn't this terrible um yeah our this article is is coming for you know all these all these people jacobin included in less than a week ohi greek for no hashtags had flooded twitter and led to the foundation of a german newspaper with the same name i didn't know that actually apparently yeah. it's connected to noise deutschland or something yeah yeah yeah. it's their it's their economics thing they're they're, they're actually... uh, next reading the economics section dude it's good all is a really good um uh um uh hetero like yeah, Marxist economics quarterly. What are their funnies like? <laughs> yeah, where where are the memes? <laughs> where are the pictures? Can I read? <laughs> Not graphs. Quantitative Those are fake pictures. <laughs> Quantitative easing, am I right? <laughs> it's, just, 
Snoopy saying <laughs> in German. Oh no, it would be the Donald Duck cartoon. Oh, yeah, it's, okay. it's the fucking Donald Duck cartoon that just like turns to the turns to the audience and just says, "Learn about MMD." <laughs> As uh, Stathis Kouvelakis put it in 2016, the Greek case gave leftists a glimpse of what an alternative might be. It is easy to dismiss these halcyon moments. Hell. <laughs> Four years later, Mason's and Graeber's excitement appears as distant as it was burlesque. Later that summer, Syriza signed an even harsher austerity compact than the one rejected in the referendum. Mm. The deal was dismissed as, quote, the greatest disaster of macroeconomic management ever, end quote, by Yanis Varoufakis himself, and the party was ousted by the center-right in elections earlier this year. Short-lived and cruel, Europe's experimented left populism had ground to a halt. This feeling was amplified by another list of setbacks. Podemos lost votes in Spain and failed to enter into coalition with the socialists in 2019. Correct. So I understand they correct. have... Yeah, 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 that's the correction to... Uh, yeah, yeah, he's... This is... Um, he wrote this before that happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, also, I would like to say, though, in, in a more general sense, that wasn't Podemos' fault. They were really trying to, and it was just like PSOE was just like, now nah, we can do this by ourselves. Well, I mean, that's the whole point, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, that yeah. they That they're able to say that. Collapsing poll numbers, back to the article, yep. uneasy anti-Macron antics and election scandals have rocked France insoumise, sorry. La France insoumise. Thank you. Germany's experiments with left populism in the Aufstehen movement never took off to begin with. No, nothing to beef with there. Oh, God. I love my three-hour podcast. Wait, no. That also lasted three hours. <laughs> Acro- made that joke before. <laughs> <laughs> Across the channel, Jeremy Corbyn appears to be the last man standing. Nope. Oops. Like we said, written um, throughout the year. I, uh, like, okay, to be fair, again, with that, it does look like it's going to be a relatively bloody battle, but I don't think the quote-unquote Corbyn wing of Labour is going to lose control anytime soon. It won't be Corbyn when the new leader is selected, but it will be someone cut from a very similar I- ideological cloth. I don't know. I disagree. Yeah. I do think... I mean, because like, that loss was... Deeply upsetting. Yeah, de- yeah, like I mean, that was insane, and I think that that I mean, given like I you know jabbed at Yasha Monk about earlier in the thing that you had every fucking lib just mask off, just being like a I don't know as, as close to just being a fascist as they can possibly be in, polite in that in polite yeah. society, yeah. And you know, just kind of be uh, what well, Yasha Monk fucking tweeted out after Corbin lost of like right wing populists will always be left wing ones. It's like yeah, because you write articles about how they can't win, yeah, and yeah. you write for the Guardian, you write for the fucking Tony Blair, you know, genocide refusal fucking foundation or whatever the fuck it is. Of course, Tony Blair Institute for don't ask Tony Blair too many questions. Don't yeah, <laughs> you know, and you have then like like that's the thing that then I think is always like. Um, I mean, we can get on this like a little bit more too. Is that yeah, there are obvious p- problems that then are internal within the left wing movements. I mean, see, it is the biggest fucking joke of the like 2010s, of that. Then you had a massive coalition that then forms of like every Greek left wing movement, and then half of them just drop out like yep. like midway through. Like I think people forget that then, and because the, it was the same fucking thing that then happened with uh, with Pasok. Why was like you know there's a lot of communist movements didn't join city that uh, 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 didn't join uh, yeah uh, cities up for the same reason that then they're like this is gonna be exactly what we had just that there was a lot more on the line in uh, you know the beginning of of this decade or last decade in Greece so I mean it's it's not that like 
the playbook really hasn't changed all that much and it's just like i don't understand people just don't get fucking like more smart about the fact about how like liberals who are on the side of capital always are just going to continuously fucking gaslight you into not voting for your interests and it's just so apparent especially now with this like how, how fucking quick information is um it's not like I mean twit with Twitter or whatever the fuck you use to then get your news or, or you know collection of information. Um, yeah, I mean, how many of these fucking people during the Corbin thing are then now lecturing you about how you have to like now you have to behave and you know vote for someone you know get, get a labor leader who's similar to like a Blair figure or someone like that because we let you leftists go too wild with it. By the way, we stopped you every inch of the way, mm. and it's our fault that you didn't get your leftism. I'm so sorry, you know, and I really hope that, I mean, I do, I, we'll get this later with, with Amber's article. Um, I do think that there is a different, we're not going to do that one? No, this is art long. <laughs> what? You can reference it, but go ahead. Oh, okay. Then, uh, <laughs> there was another article from Jacobin where, um, Amber, Corbin lost, but Bernie can yeah, win. Cor- yeah, Corbin won, but Bernie can win. <laughs> just, you said Corbin won. Run, run with it. Run with it. Corbin lost, but Bernie can win. Yeah. <laughs> and how, um, like, I do think that there is a different, like, momentum going on in the U.S. It's weird to imagine that the U.S. could actually save, quote unquote, left wing populism, but I'm at least a little bit more optimistic. I mean, poll numbers are showing he's doing well. Yeah, you know, you know for sure. I, I, I think also maybe the defense that people mentioned at the beginning of this article and dragged, but, like, there is something that I've kind of learned over the last couple of years, and probably my biggest takeaway from 2016 is one of the things I really hate is this uh, thing that a lot of shitty people do of tactical pessimism, where you... So a good example of this is I knew a lot of people who were like, oh, I think Donald Trump's going to win. I was like, cool, you really have no analysis of why you think that's going to happen. You, See, I could have I told you that with, with analysis. If, if, yeah, if no, I for sure. You. But yeah. like these people in particular had no analysis for why that was going to happen. They just were saying this because it is a tactical position to make yourself look good. If... Uh, if Trump wins, you were correct and therefore really cool. Yeah. Uh, if Trump loses, everyone's too excited by the fact that Trump lost to even figure, like, to bring up the fact that you were wrong. Michael Moore was actually really plugged in on that one and had a really good reasoning of why he was like saying the entire time that Trump was going to win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you go back and watch those videos... There were actually, definitely people who, correct, who yeah, correctly yeah. Mm-hmm. and figured out what was going to happen and did it with decent analysis. I'm talking about more like an interpersonal... No, 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 yeah, ab- ab- absolutely. I'm yeah, just, yeah. Just so like, I think there is this, there's this great argument for, especially when you have a platform for being optimistic even when you can say in hindsight 2020 the fuck you you were stupid like people are listening to you the difference between like a decent party getting a nice vote could be like the amount of optimism on display by people who have a platform um but yeah fuck anyone who does that tactical pessimism thing it's so common i hate it they're all shit eaters God damn it. <laughs> Bro, I swear to God in fucking 20 whenever the next German election is, AFD is getting a majority. Don't ask me why. <laughs> I just, I hate everything. Before we go any further, I feel compelled I have to call out Nick. Um, I don't know if you know this about Yasha Monk, but he has a lot of issues with self-esteem. And actually his therapist told him to, you know, have a mantra <laughs> to envision in the world like what you want to be. So you're making fun, like when he says right-wing populism will always be left-wing populism like you know that's it, just well, don't kick him when he's down man 
I say that when I get on stage at a comedy show for confidence boosting. That's <laughs> just me pacing back and forth just in the bathroom, being like, "I'm in popular so Yeah, dude, you're you're that's that that is that is your eight mile moment. That's my mom spaghetti. <laughs> yes. Yeah, if you had one shot to take down the revolution, <laughs> the Teresa government. Um. Okay, let's get a little background. The roots of this fleeting left populist moment can be traced back almost a decade. Although the 2008 crisis saw its start in the United States, its fallout quickly reached Europe, toppling private banks that had engaged in risky lending and in turn appealed to governments for help. With liquidity bound up in the financial industry, most Southern European countries opted for harsh austerity measures that decimated their public sectors. I'm These so glad banks don't do that anymore. <laughs> These measures, yeah, I, I, yeah, I love that, that we left uh, that in the past yeah. in 2010. <laughs> Deutsche Bank is just doing great stuff yeah. in Estonia. By the way, fun fact: I saw this. I saw this uh, yesterday, actually. That uh, Happy New Year. Um, the Greek stock market at its all-time highs since before 2008. <laughs> <laughs> nothing and uh, uh, nothing. Going nothing on going here. on here. Yeah, um, it's suddenly. I guess just people want Greek shit again. Like. <laughs> the cookies I made you. Yeah, actually, no, they're they're solid, really good yeah. cookies. If anyone heard chewing from earlier, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Unless you're into that, in which donate to the Patreon, <laughs> I will do an hour and a half of that. These measures were near universally accepted by the political class. Both diehard conservatives and social democrats found themselves towing the neo- neoliberal line. As an early response, people flocked to squares in several southern cities throughout 2010 and 2011. Yeah. Known as the Indignados in Spain and the, I'm going to butcher this, Aganactismenoi in Greece. Good enough. These leaderless movements sparked the popular imagination but offered a hazy path forward. The upsurge in Spain, for example, relied on spontaneous gatherings by students and workers reading out testimonies of the crisis and refused to spell out a list of demands. Mm -hmm. In Greece, protesters set fire to a Christmas tree and stormed parliament. Powerful demonstrations of discontent but without a program for change. For the left, this tactic had its obvious limits. By 2012, it was clear that the indignados could not sustain another march on the squares and that energy was fading. The crisis is not enough, said one activist in 2012, disillusioned with the anti-institutional bent of the protest. Without a solid leadership, the movement would would become prey for demagogic adventurers and cynics. Yeah, the the indignados... uh, Okay, so I guess this this was happening in other countries as well, and it was like... um, It was bit broader than this they're, they're focusing on the spanish and greek example particularly because they were definitely the biggest i think i think the indignados like in total was the biggest i think it's like fucking uh i have it somewhere in my notes here in the kieran's lifetime notes of everything but I, I think at some point the indignados had yeah the total it brought out like eight million people in a country of 40 million that's uh quick math 100 <laughs> percent. i nailed it but the um but it was it was a massive movement, but yeah, it was very, very similar to Occupy. Occupy, I think, explicitly got their influences from shit like this. Um, and in general in Europe, because this also happened in Portugal and Italy and other parts of the world, I think France had similar things. Um, th- collectively, this was all called Take Back the Square uh, or Take Back the Square Movements where it was all which works really well in spain if anyone hasn't been to spain they have like these really lovely public squares that were like i don't know built off fucking uh, cuban slaves but still they're really nice a plaza de españa they're all called that and they're really pretty and they have fountains and when it gets really hot you can just like fucking dunk your head in it's great 
Um, yeah, it is worth pointing out. I don't think the article mentions all of these things, but there's a lot of interconnectedness, yeah. at least an in, in inspiration, because you have, I mean, the Occupy movement that comes kind of comes back to Europe and the Blockupy movements, and you have the Arab Spring going on, which obviously is kind of a symbol for a lot of people, especially this new interconnected internet aspect of it. Um, we'll get to that later. Mm. Um, but I, th- then the article is setting up here, um, I think quite, it's, it's, it's laying out this populist moment and acknowledging that the you know practitioners, the the actors of the moment, realizing that another step, a further step, is necessary, um, and this is where he starts to I think get at his idea of the kernel of populism, how populism relates to the party structure of Europe, and what that dynamic tells us about populism and potential leftism. European left populism was born out of a moment of reorientation. Realizing the transitory nature of movements such as Occupy, the idea was to finally return to the party form and seize the state. This move into party politics was tracked by a sprawling academic literature. Populism not only became the favored buzzword for pundits, it fueled a consultancy industry in which politicians sought out advice from scholars on how to build dikes against populist tides at home. Hmm, I wonder who that could be. (laughs) What? What? Our good old friend, Masha Young. (laughs) But on the other side of the barricades, Argentinian theorist Ernesto Laclau became the prime evangelist for figures within Syriza, Podemos, and France in Sumi. Though Laclau passed away in 2014, just before the moment reached its peak, his populist credentials were impeccable. He had been close to Hugo Chavez and openly supported the Kirchner government in the early 2000s. Since his post-Marxist turn in the 1980s, Laclau had urged the European left to leave behind both outdated appeals to class and to go on the offensive on a new axis, the people versus the elite. Mm. Wait, what? I mean, that's the whole. I mean, this is like the bread and butter of the like post-Marxist. No, no, no. I get analysis. that, but like, I don't understand how that's different from class. Yeah, because <laughs> like this is one thing that I, I would often make as a, a, a as uh, maybe an ignorant question, but maybe a valid criticism. I don't know, but it does feel like people versus the elite is just a, a a very superficial rebranding of working class versus capitalist class. Yeah, exactly. Um, because this is like the definition of worker by like in kind of like Marxist sense is everybody <laughs> or like almost everybody to the extent that calling it the people is as fine as it, you can also argue that like calling it the people is maybe a bit more inclusive because it kind of gets to the whole point of like, uh, like uh, softer left-wing movements would be like, or like an often misinterpretation of like landlords and billionaires shouldn't exist. Like the the bad faith reading of that is like, oh, you want to murder all the land? Like, go, yep. <laughs> Next one to say yes. <laughs> I didn't say anything. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but like, no. The actual criticism is like, no, we just want them to functionally not be landlords anymore, not be billionaires anymore. They can go back to being the people like regular people or whatever uh shaking his head but like it frames you don't know the, if it's an approval or disapproval probably I'm like oh yes you know what they should um but like in general it, it i'm not really sure i'm understanding the distinction other than maybe people versus the elite is better for not making people immediately shut down and be like oh that's a marxist shit Boom. like well, i'm not gonna listen to you lefty so, loony Boom. so two points i think one um, on that latter point, I do think a lot of people see it as a, like, Giannis Varoufakis, for example, because DM25 brands themselves as, I think they use the word progressive more than populist, yeah. Yeah. but not using socialism, Marxism, yeah. these words, because they think it's a dead end. And in that case, it's like, what if we just rebrand and get the idea in this other way? 
I think maybe I think a little. Even had like a thing of like the Progressive Manifesto or something yeah, like yeah, that yeah. was one of the Progressive International. Yeah, yeah that, that, that was it. That was it. Cars new book. Um, but it is it is a yeah like there's definitely problems with that I I think there's to reiterate that point for anyone who doesn't know the DM25 reasoning for that would be twofold there's the like Eastern European fear of going back to what they had before and then basically absent by the way from this article I just want to point out out that there's almost nothing about Eastern Europe in here, it's all Southern Europe, and then well, because Eastern Europe just doesn't have like they just have centrism. There is, yeah, there is. Well, no, no the, the centrism is what we'd be voting for if we were there, because the other parties are. Well, worse. no, no, no. I mean, but it's like, it's but worth it's worth pointing out because you're in fucking uh, yeah, Greece or Spain, being like, oh, you can't say Marxism, and it's like this isn't Eastern Europe. I mean, so yeah, wait, wait. No, the, the the Southern Europe problem though is that all the neoliberal center left parties are basically still called the socialists. Yeah. So that's kind of where the branding is ruined there. Uh, you'd have to like constantly be on the back foot of explaining. Upgraded no. the c word. You're like, yeah. So the yeah, there's that. Um, but like, you have problems of like Holland's party was called the Socialists. Yeah. And he brought in all these fucking shitty ass labor reforms and was basically ousted for it and replaced by Macron, who also came from the Socialists. <laughs> like, yeah. they're the two most socialist people uh, of the 21st century. All, all I want to say about this people versus elite. So I think whatever we can come back to that tactical debate, I guess you can call it. But I do think it reflects the ideology of this post-Marxism from Black Lao, Mouffe, all this like, mm. that's been coming around since the 80s, of the idea of a people which the, the most extreme adherence of this post-Marxism says that technology and new conditions have kind of thrown out the old playbook. Everything's different now, and you got to look at these. And people aren't separated by class. There's a mass of people, and then there's the elite who rule them, and that this can somehow replace the old analysis. What I think the people does is, I think kind of wrongly and superficially, again, this is just the structure of the, the theoretical structure, the people says... It's, it's, it's not materialist. It's, you can be the people if you're in the street, if you want to be the people. And I mean, obviously, you need, I mean, like, hmm. if, if you're not in, if you're not uh, part of the, if you're a petite bourgeois, you probably need to help the working class revolution however you can. But it retains a materialist analysis that is stripped away, I think, in this populist analysis, where if you're there, if you're the people, you're the people. If you're, if, you're, if you're the person, you know it because you're you're being a person. You're yeah. the person, and it's a, it's a much more flexible term that I think loses its you know efficacy by broadening itself for the you know, for the moment or whatever it is. People mm. in the streets, elite in the sheets. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's a good description of the petty bourgeois for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, so actually, I, I just found my notes there uh, about shit about regards to... The is, this, is this what you wrote in 2013? Uh, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> wait, uh, wait, what else is in here? <laughs> oh, man, so much. So much is fucking... I had shit about Satra. This hand is a great book. Hentai, hentai, hentai. <laughs> That's a different notebook. <laughs> <laughs> I draw my own when there's no internet. <laughs> um, when you can't get your hands on a printer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this is... Yeah, okay. So um, the thing with the Indudados was... Okay, so I, I think I have some of my numbers here. Yeah, it was 8 million out of a population of total 40 million, which is fucking ridiculous. Um, so the, the, the problem with it inherently at the beginning was you had this 
like you said, this kind of aimlessness, but to kind of bring home the aimlessness, there was two major factions of the Ignatius. There was the people who were genuinely socialists, the people who were like looking at this as a moment of various socialist stripes who could like seize the state, could do maybe some sort of horizontalist revolution, maybe recreate what happened in Catalonia or whatever, the Republic in Spain all those years ago. But then you also had, like I think it was also the larger faction of much older people who... Uh, we're basically reliving the mo- like the democracy protests that occurred in the seventies, where basically their only political position is um, anti-fascism, anti-fracismo, which is a decent position, sure, but not enough, and definitely caused like a dis- uh, discrepancy between those two groups. It's often what has been described as a discrepancy with Occupy, where you had the people who had the free time to be a part of these collective meetings, and then the like working people who didn't um so yeah also i think we can come to this later because indignados is also a hundred percent the birth of podemos and to a lesser extent um uh mass pais which is a new party now but i think we're going to cover podemos later yeah i mean but it's it's worth uh reiterating because i do think the populist movement knows it's this tension between the party structure and um, this like mass movement in the party structure with its yeah. leader and the mass movement without a leader. Um, I wrote this down in quotations. I don't know if I took it from another article or I just came up with it. Um, I think I took it from an article, uh, but the, the phrase is soft vanguardism. That was from the article. I <laughs> okay, also yeah. really liked that as well. I mean, that's basically it, right? It's like, it. well, we kind of need a party to keep things in order, but you know, we're not those party people so we're you know all these all these parties it's interesting because you can also maybe say there's a bit of bernie as well but like all these kind of like electoral movements came from uh all kind of have their origins from these aggressively horizontalist movements that kind of rejected hierarchy and leadership to a certain extent maybe to their own detriment i think a lot of people would say that but like the language of Bernie Sanders and his campaigning basically all started in Occupy. Like the 1% and the 99% is like a big part of it. Uh, Podemos comes from the like Indignatus movement, which is also aggressively horizontalist, um, like to the point of like uh, detrimental aimlessness. But like, so it was the party aspect of these movements to a lot of people was this just kind of utilitarian compromise that no one was particularly happy with to begin with uh, or at least a lot of a lot of the people i think they appealed to the a new wave of like people who probably weren't on the streets but were liberals coming more to the left who saw a party that maybe they more vibed with but they weren't coming out to the streets yeah so definitely i love that term I'm glad you highlighted it. Soft vanguardism is exactly what that is. Because it's just like, we're an authoritarian mechanism based around a movement that kind of rejected authoritarianism. It is very like your camp counselor like sitting in their chair backwards being like, I'm one of you. <laughs> and it's like, no, you're not. Stop it. This is weird. Let's continue. Um, so we're, there's just a little background. So hop in with any comments on the uh, austerity crisis. There were clear conditions for lack of left populist surge. 
European party democracy was facing a historic crisis, exemplified by the complete inability of the Greek Social Democratic Party, PASOK, to come up with an alternative to its Euro dictates. PASOKification quickly became a metonym for a general trend. In the years preceding the crisis, European parties had steadily uncoupled themselves from their social bases and relied ever more strongly on PR and marketing techniques. The result was increased volatility, more power for technocrats, and an utterly disorganized working class. The fact that citizens first responded to the 2011 austerity measures spontaneously in the streets pointed to the tightness of their repertoire. The options were either the referendum, the riot, or the angry Facebook comment. So, I'm, so at the end there, I guess, is pointing at the with the quote utterly disorganized working class and the power, the power, con, the, the power of policy in the hands of technocrats, uh, as he'll point out later, often you know unelected European technocrats and the political culture kind of drained of any, I mean, it's the end of history time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The so option the, is just to go out in the street. Yeah. So this, uh, one could argue, is giving credence to Laclau's, either giving credence to Laclau's theory that this is the only option left, or just on a very pessimistic note, like, this is all you can do now. It's not going to work, but I understand why people are going out in the street. Mm. Uh, this is a... Um for anyone who's like maybe hard a hard time visualizing what exactly he's referring to and what this is kind of like an opposition to is I think we've talked about this before in the show, like Clintonian left wing politics, Blairite left wing politics. I think it's uh, Jacob Hamburger, which that's his real name. Uh, I love that. Uh, he's like, how do I rebrand and be, you know, accessible to the people? What do people like? Hamburgers? <laughs> All right. <laughs> you just sort of get a whole board of just like Jacob French Fry, Jacob Hot Dog, <laughs> and just Jacob Hamburgers circled a million times. Jacob Smoothie King. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, he wrote an article called Can There Be a Left Populism back in... Jacob Ford F-150. This is, this is back when the, the term left populism was being like used to describe this shit because I think it's worth pointing out that a lot of the, the, the term populism definitely didn't enter like the zeitgeist or whatever the fuck um until like well after these movements were happening yeah and um he, he described what the response was as a um, response to depoliticize um, center left where it was just as you're right it was just like center left politics but it was all branding like a hundred percent i think obama was very much the last successful ruse at that i think um all the, the hope imagery and then but there's nothing of substance actually happening in the background um, it was like watching a movie the last time the football was pulled in front of us yep it'll never happen again that's why I back this new upstart Pedro Sanchez <laughs> Spain leader of the PSA he seems to have his head on straight yeah a people who judge president baby yeah I hear this Macron guy is doing well in France yeah I bet he I heard hear they really like him you know he's from the socialists <laughs> <laughs> that's all good signs to me baby yeah I'm I'm all I, I'm still like kind of thrown for a loop about how that is still a thing and now like I mean some countries did it more than not like France obviously like like you said about like Hollande and Macron of yeah like what we're socialists like me yeah. and my fucking uh, you know consulting firm that then is fucking making you know all of every move that I do is pretty much done by like I don't know like just a team of of fucking ghouls from 
mostly the wives of your best friends. That's how <laughs> French politics works. Yeah, or like, um, uh, I don't know, like Italy does the same thing too. Like, there's no actual, like, like every party claims that they're the socialist party, at, yeah. but they're not. Every um, party, even like Lega Nord, basically came from the Communist Party of Italy. At one point, probably, yeah. 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 Or um, Germany, though, is weird because they're like not fully onto that, but they're just like... It's a very Southern Europe thing. Of like, yeah, yeah. That, like I think the the center left party of Albania is also still just called the Socialists. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's so there's a there's a line in Europe. <laughs> yeah, south of it. but I'm I, I'm just so amazed about then how many people were like in these parties and like actively in these organizations and who were like socialists, you know, who joined socialist yeah. parties and were like, this is fine. Like, mean, to, to an extent, that's kind of what happened with Corbyn's Labour. Because that was it. Like it was, labor was a party that had more radical beginnings. Uh, that was all drained away in the nineties and before then a little bit. Yeah. And but Corbyn was still there and saying good socialist shit. And then yeah, and eventually he was like given the steering wheel for a bit. In what I seem like for a lot of Labour's center and right wing must have been like some sort of fever dream for them or like well they thought it was a practical joke bro bro it'd be fucking sick if yeah. we gave uh, don't worry there's a last like two months tops yeah. <laughs> um so the the next section actually talks about this the what's going on here um i know i said i would read everything but i'm gonna start skipping around um <laughs> so there's a term ruling the void from irish political scientist peter Mayer that mm-hmm. he mentions um which basically characterizes europe um you know in in the early 2000s um reading again european politicians now have such little idea of what is at play in their populations that they're forced to speculate on what might constitute a successful program this has led to a rupture between two fields traditionally conjoined in the post-war era politics and policy we can think of the latter as the difficult work of state negotiation and technical adjustment, the bargaining basis by which governments order their societies and intervene in their economies. The former, politics, concerns the process of what political scientists call popular will formation, competition between parties, campaign building, electoral outbidding, and the crafting of coalitions. After the 1992 Maastricht Treaty, I butchered that. And the consolidation of the single currency, European policy became the exclusive domain of unelected power, organs such as the Eurogroup, the European Commission, the World Bank, the World Trade Organization, and central banks, all populated by the wizards of the neoliberal universe. Politics, in turn, was relegated to a media sphere addicted to novelty. Somewhat hopefully, it was supplemented by the emergence of the internet and its early democratic promise. This was the long-awaited arrival of the emancipated civil society liberals dreamed of in the 1980s, when thinkers Mm. such as Foucault and Lyotard called for the opening up and proliferating of new discourses. Yeah. I mean, it's still nice that we can, like, tell a bunch of columnists on Twitter that their opinions are and always have been garbage. That's the democratic... Like, democratic... Democratic force. But I think, so I, his argument here is that at just the moment where these discourses become possible, the only reason you're able to talk about politics and yell at your whatever congressman on Twitter is because the policy has been successfully extracted from the, you know, from the, from the pickup site uh, and is whisked away to some protected area. Yeah. And then now, well, now go, go hog wild with your discourse. Yeah, you can yeah, say whatever yeah. you want. It's not... It's not going to. Uh, you're you're inside a nice glass cage. As long as you don't disrupt our fancy Brussels boys, working on our top minds, working on good stuff. 
Is there any disagreement to this? <laughs> no, I was just thinking of what would like the European equivalent of like, oh, sir, uh, ah, uh, I don't know. Like, I can't fucking imagine what it would be. To like yell at these people? No, but like, what are like MAGA comments, but in Europe? Oh, that's that's easy. Just look at the replies to anything Giefer Hofstadt posts. <laughs> <laughs> I just, yeah, but it's not nearly as fun as like a a dude who lives in like suburban America who thinks that he's working class because he has like a, I don't know, his brother's a cop or something. I don't fucking know. It, it's it's basically everyone in the north of England who thinks they're working class because they have a flat cap, and then they like yell at Giefer Hofstadt because he's going to turn. Uh, Manchester into Xinjiang or something like that. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, the second asp- the the second part, other than the policy, the internet side of things is, is I think, very important. Hmm. Um, partly because the 80s, when fucking Laclau and Mouffe are writing about their post-Marxism, is exactly when the internet's getting big. Um, it is, I know these ideas existed before, but it is really when they're like, the future will be just interconnected web. You know, this very utopian idea of the internet. Yeah. Um, and I think that when you talk about like, what wow, everything's changing. We're really re-scrambling the deck. Uh, a lot of the ideas come from that, this idea that the technology has changed material conditions to such an extent that um, everything will be, new things will be possible. I do think there's that underlying faith in a kind of, in a kind of technocracy. I mean, in the fact that the technology will open something up, yeah. make new democracy possible. Um, I think this is a current that's kind of underappreciated in the whole populism thing. Uh, I can only speak, I can speak more to the American case, but with Occupy Wall Street, like Elizabeth Warren went there too. Yeah. And a lot of it was, there were, I mean, since then it's, it's been huge for the U.S. left. Um, like you said, it's, it spawned a lot of, uh, the people backing Bernie, but there was an, 2012 when Elizabeth (laughs) Warren was like a. No, no, but but my point is that there was a large, there was a aspect of Occupy Wall Street that it's like these corrupt assholes are the problem, you know, not all of capitalism. I know they mean the one percent. I mean that was one slogan, Mm -hmm. but there's an extent to which it can. It's kind of narrowly focused on the corruption. They're just. I think they're they're not running the machine right. We have such a great machine now that mm-hmm. we've gotten through our new technology, and they're they're messing it up. This is my perfect internet. <laughs> that is the thing, though. I think about um, that ultimately becomes problematic. I think with the, within all these left populist movements is that then when you kind of do this like weird end of the way that I just kind of see this is like how do you make socialism, but in but you're still kind of a Fukuyamaist. Like, history's ended, but, you know, it has its, you know, peaks and valleys, you know. But in the end, capitalism's more or less won. And we've kind of got to accept this this theory of the world. And um, my ultimate problem with that is that, the, like, like you missed the entire critique of then, like, what it is that then props this up. So, yeah, like, you can talk about the 99% and the 1% until you're blue in the face or if something even fucking changes that. But you're still, like, the groundwork of then that to... Like, that's why I can't fucking, like, Elizabeth Warren's a perfect example of that because she's just like, we just got to regulate the, like, like yeah, you yeah, said, yeah. this machine that then works, it just isn't working in our favor right now. It's like, yeah, but you're going to, like, damn, like, regulations have never been put on the fucking economy before and there isn't, like, a, like the U.S. has a, a welfare state and shit. Like, okay, make it new, make it, you know, make new regulation and then what, what? And then you're going to have 30 years later some, like, Reagan's, like, yeah, you yeah. know... 
uh, fucking Gundam Reagan coming from the sky to then just deregulate everything. That's the, that's the way that's that's the season reality jumped the shark when Gundam Reagan came into it. Um, yeah, but like I think this is, goes back to the vagueness the vagueness of the terms problem again. Yeah. of like the one percent not. What one percent? Like one percent of three hundred three million is still like three million. Like that's that's a fucking ton of people. Yeah. Uh, who do you mean exactly? Because again, I I think your Elizabeth Warren types were thinking, oh, the one percent are the corrupt politicians and business. That qualifier is put onto it rather than like, yeah, like you said, the whole machine. Well, all right. So not to I know European listeners get annoyed by the American focus. <laughs> to bring it back to Europe, you do have movements coming out of. Did you know Europe has capitalism too? <laughs> <laughs> coming out of this milieu, uh, like the Five Star Movement, for example. I mean, that's a perfect example about how it's like what, no one knew what that thing fucking was. Like, <laughs> oh, just seeing everyone trying to twist them, contort themselves into a weird fucking pretzel Rubik's cube shape to try and describe this party. You have a similar aspect. It's may it's maybe even a better example because it's more varied in the pirate party. I mean, you have aspects yeah, that true. are very close mm. to the left populism and aspects that are close to the five star, depending on the country. Yeah, yeah. and so you have this. The vacuousness of the term is exactly what lends itself to all these different like technocratic formations. You know oh, speaking I mean? of technocratic, goddamn it, Five Star Party is just like they're they're cool. They're doing they're doing change. They're doing good stuff. That party was founded by like a failed tech entrepreneur, like co-founded with Pepe Grillo, who like. In the party charter has forced people to use his proprietary software for all their like direct democracy shit, and that software does not fucking work. There's like uh, so many reported examples of like when they ask the membership to vote on a crucial like vote that's happening because the whole idea of five star is all the members get to vote what the MPs vote. Mm. And whenever there's like a really crucial vote on like should Italy do the racism, uh, um, like reannex all- Ethiopia, what? <laughs> uh, third time's the charm, lads. <laughs> but the um, the system is like reportedly always lags, and people can't get their vote in on time. Like the whole thing is, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just imagining just like a an Italian man just being, no, I didn't get, I didn't get to the vote of the Albania vote of if it, Italy. Uh, <laughs> Who we do the racism to? Um, I love the idea. My of, Italian of accent a party. is very Jamaican. <laughs> the Jamaica could be Italy too if you fucking voted if for, you it voted on time. for it. I love the thing too. Just quick about five fucking five star movement is perfect. I love this one because of that just mess of what it was. And I remember seeing it's named the, like a shitty pizza place. Yeah, Mamma Mia. Um, I I love seeing whenever there's a few people who are left over from that party who will post in Jacobin. Mm. And then uh, what is it called? Libcom dot org, whatever. Just yeah. like is like I fucking can't believe my dear you, leader. <laughs> yeah, I can't fucking believe that you let these fascists. It's like, dude. You didn't know what this party was when it started either. You fucking dipshit. No, no, no. And I love like like I love the uh, the like purity politics are always kind of a thing that's just really funny. But my favorite my favorite Twitter account that I had to actually like stop following. <laughs> but I love that because that 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 is the perfect thing that happens every time when that dude posts something of that like because I think he he could still be a part of five star movement. I don't know. Italian politics make no fucking sense to me. No, no. no. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna hate someone because they're a part of a party that then may or may not have been a thing that could have been a good thing because no one knew what they were. <laughs> yeah, there's there is like there uh, I thought I had it down here, but there is um 
like the, the five star movement to go and kind of like it's a supposed left wingness like they did steal like the five star movement stole most of their votes from um from like the democratic party was con- which was considered the like main successor of the communist party of italy uh they were the like center left they went very neoliberal under renzi who wanted to be macron before he realized that would have been a massive mistake uh it turned out to be a massive mistake <laughs> but like yeah like they they had like that was the problem with pd is they had like absolutely no strategy to take back those votes from the firestar movement because they had no idea what it was and to be fair to like the membership of firestar movement they're genuinely left wing yeah, yeah. and there was some left wing voices within the five star movement i i thought i had the name of some of them maybe i do but like some of them write for like magazines that were like founded by gramsci and shit like they're still going today it's very hard to pin down what the five star movement was it definitely was a lot harder before they had ever had like an ounce of power yeah um just to wrap up on the internet point i think something people point out a lot now but it's uh, it's worth repeating is that the internet aside from the fact that our podcast is largely and other left-wing alternative media is largely based on the internet write um, to us in the post and we will send you a transcript of the podcast every week <laughs> the, the the right wing is, is has tons of clout on the internet um the article brings this up especially the right populace um, to stay in Italy, for example. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lega Salvini, for instance, now stands out as one of the most powerful po- politicians in Europe. I think this was written when he was still uh, in power, <laughs> or still in office. We know he's still ridiculously power. He's not in office anymore, but again, like, I think as an individual politician, he's probably the most popular individual politician of Italy. Yeah. I can now only think <clears throat> of him shirtless DJing. <laughs> Yep. His so so can all his followers. His genius was marrying an existing regionalist party founded in the 1990s to save off southern leeches with a new digital arsenal. The yep. latter was geared towards clicks, shares, and sound bites. No less than three million followers received daily updates from Salvini on Facebook and on Twitter. Quote: Instagram. "Matteo is a phenomenon." His Instagram game Doesn't mention is Instagram. his Instagram game is fucking phenomenal, and it's so strange because it's mostly like him sharing recipes. Like, I don't understand it. <laughs> it's mostly him playing Fortnite and <laughs> yelling. DJ. He has 50 million followers. DJ Silvini Dice. Um, so, yeah, I mean, our, our friend Diego here's analysis is clearly that the internet as this open realm of discourse is kind of redounded to the right wing. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I think this, this is been written about to a great extent although i don't think it has made the same like lateral connections to its effect on populism or whatever because like there's um oh god it, uh, the california ideology which was written in like the 90s if i remember correctly did just basically talks about like this weird libertarian takeover of the internet mm-hmm. and the idea like how that basically disrupted the idea of the internet as this free and open pasture where everything, or the the great agora, like the great forum in which everyone could talk and we'd hash out all our issues, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, I guess it just hasn't, the connection between that and populism just hasn't been made when it's in the recent decade, I should say. So we should probably get to what probably is maybe the first thing that comes to people's minds when they talk about left populism and new left politics in Europe, which is the any potential generational split or uh, class split and mm. the role of the EU in that. Um, as Jaeger writes, unlike the age of the mass party, 
This new left populism found itself spread out among a mishmash of groups. On one side, there were older blue-collar workers, hit harder by the recession in southern European countries, and generally tied to national welfare states. Since the gutting of communist parties, they had either dropped out of voting or had been lured to new nationalist formations such as UKIP, the Front National, National, Flams, Belang, and the Lega Nord. Figures such as Jean-Luc Mélenchon and Pablo Iglesias were always open about their desire to herd these voters back to the left. This was signaled by slogans such as Mélenchon's not going to do the French, angry but not fascist. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's a alliteration in French. Yeah, yeah. It, looks, it, looks, it looks very yeah, witty. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, or Erhon and Iglesias' desire to, to go beyond left and right. Yeah. Populist theorists also tended to take the lead here. Laclau collaborator Chantal Mouff herself has always been stern about the need to recognize the rational kernel of right populists. Rather than dismissing these voters as sad subjects in need of therapy, she proposed a strategy of recuperation. If the left failed to bring these voters back into the tent, it wouldn't win. Hmm. Such a message was not always easy to sell. The primary skeptics were the other group of left populist voters, young professionals. Highly educated, networked, and web-savvy, most of them graduated straight from the university and into the tight labor market of the 2010s. Many of them ended up in service jobs. Combined with a new internet-enabled public sphere, freed of its old media shackles, most of them were up for radicalization. When Chipras was elected in 2015, he counted no less than 30% of Greek youth among his supporters. But their cultural outlook did not always mesh with the older working-class base targeted by left populists. This became visible in Corbyn's Labor Party, where a precarious coalition between blue-collar northern workers and cosmopolitan southern millennials started to dissolve over the Brexit vote started to dissolve. A similar split happened in much of continental Europe. There, as Adam Tooze notes, the European Union had given voice and an agency to a substantial cohort of educated middle class and professional Europeans, and their angry and disappointed younger siblings, cousins, etc. A disconnect with many older working class voters, coupled with the lack of party infrastructure, meant that assembling a majoritarian constituency was almost impossible. It is no surprise, then, that the left populists who have managed to attain some kind of political viability have often done so within traditional left parties. Corbyn's labor, for instance, has relied on an internal populist dynamic to sideline the moderates and Blairites in his way. The same holds for the Belgian Workers' Party, which has evolved into something of a mass representative of working-class union politics in the country. We love them. them. (laughs) Uh, Wallonia is the only good part of Europe at the moment, which is really a cursed thing to say. Um, yeah, so I, I, to a certain extent, I kind of hate this argument and I, I, I kind of like it as well because it's, it is an interesting way of looking at things. And this is also basically accounts for the split, um, a part of Podemos split off and created a news party that a new party that was originally called Mass Madrid because it was only running in Madrid politics, but then it's now called Mass País or uh, More Country. And that is basically the side of Podemos that is a hundred percent exclusively going for the like young millennial professional kind of vote, uh, completely disregarding the um, traditional working class base. Which now that I say that out loud, that could be an interesting strategy of just like we're gonna have two separate parties that will always work together. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, the, yeah. Um, but the other time is just like I also kind of hate this dichotomy as well because. First of all, it feels like you're capitulating to a narrative that was constructed by people who didn't construct that narrative in good faith. Like this reminds me of all the kind of like Guardian journalists who are like, uh, Labour lost the traditional working class in favour of like 
diverse urban millennials and I was like well no okay cities are where all the poor people are uh, diverse people are also working class students are also working class like I don't understand this economy and then like you realize their definition of the working class is like really really couched in cultural signifiers exclusively from the 70s that have like all faded away like to be working class you have to like smoke 30 packets a day be really into greyhound racing and like um start hooligan street fights around football like that's that's working class and that will always be working class and you have to have a certain accent like it's it just feels like a dichotomy that like shouldn't even be entertained by the left to a certain extent um because it feels like one that's very fall it, it feels like we're absorbing the capitalist definition of working class yeah we do we like definitely fetishize it mm. i i, I the no matter whatever the country is of yeah i mean i mean i think it's i think it's in the sense too of like like that we as working class don't want to see ourselves as working class even though we very clearly are i mean everyone's middle class problem exactly yeah yeah. it's just been like it's just like millennials have just done it of like i went to university and i did this and that it's like yeah i went to university (laughs) and i'm fucking making like little to no money um i am I, i'm jealous actually then of the fucking dude who's or or woman who in germany has like a job in like a factory or something like that that then or you know or like as a bus driver or whatever then like you know stereotypical like oh you don't want to then have these quote-unquote working class jobs like the stigma that then has always been yeah, traditionally yeah. against it it's like dude they make more money than i do and they can't really be fired yeah you know like that's sick. Like, why? I, I really wish that there was more of a of a of an attention to that growing up. Of that, than like you know, hey, yo, being working class one is good. Two, it's like you're probably part of it. And three, like, yeah, going to university doesn't make you any different or better than like you know this weird fantasy that then that you have. But yet we still fantasize it in that yeah. way too. So. I think the other side of this, just to like kind of leave the point, is the only way this economy I think is in, is kind of useful is how it affects those two people. Because if we're, I think we have to kind of accept that like liberal media, especially in the UK context, for example, there's basically no mass media platform in the UK that backs the current iteration of Labour. Like the most left wing paper in the UK is the Guardian, and they're they're more on the side of a, like a right wing Labour government. Um, they literally endorse what what's it called every time now? The Lib Dems. The Lib Dems, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're, they've gotten that route, and but now that there's like a leadership con- uh, contest again, they're going for like the most Blairite option. But this is like when that exists, you have to kind of acknowledge the fact that you are within this like completely liberal controlled media space. Like the whole they've won the culture war thing as much as that was in any way significant. This is the only way it's significant. But it has managed to convince two things. One, that it's convinced this traditional working class base that everyone in the city, everyone who's diverse, everyone who's a student is rich and doing much better than they are, which is 99% of the time not true. Uh, And it's also managed to convince that uh, it's definitely created this generation of young people who are like educated, college educated, have professional jobs, that the unwashed plebs cannot be trusted with democracy. That whole like 
oh, you need to have an education, uh, you know, there should be a test to get a vote or something like that. That thought is just horrifyingly common amongst these people. And I think the only way you can win this back is to, to the, 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 the counter-propaganda of like, hey, people in the city are poor too, and hey, trust your fucking fellow man kind of thing. Yeah. So um, please correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, my impression of not to keep harping on the UK uh, was most that, recent example, but like I was told, I was lied to, that <laughs> Corbyn was going to smash the differences because it's real socialism for once, mm. and then didn't. And then there's a bunch of different reasons I've seen online why. But no matter how shitty the division is, is it not real? Like across Europe? Yeah. The the division is the division exists only in the mind. I guess is kind of the thing. That's that's as real as it gets. So it's not material, which means to the extent that you could very easily work against it. I would say that would be the well. So then that's my next question. So to what extent? So we have this general, and Germany is another example too, because you have Die Linke mm. slowly losing a traditional base. You know, yeah, from East Germany, they're still depoliticized to, left. They're ruling the void to <laughs> to the off day, and they're slowly gaining. I would say the in still in former West Germany, kind of younger, educated left uh, types who are, as the article rightly points out, downwardly mobile hmm. and also working class. Um, but that there's this cultural void, and and I think while well, you point out that this cultural void is meaningless, uh, in one one way it is made very perhaps real or not real, depending on how you see it, is in the EU, yeah. right? So the EU is a tangible thing. I know the debates around it are mind-bogglingly meaningless sometimes, but the EU turns into a real dividing point that uh, you know justifies or you know ossifies this kind of fake, quote-unquote, cultural division. Yeah. So then what do we do? <laughs> what do we, yeah, what do we do with that whole EU structure? Cause that's what, what be done? What do? What, <laughs> what it do? What it You're do. supposed to know, Kieran. I'm asking you. Oh, shit. Uh, let me just uh, shake my magic eight ball. <laughs> ah, fuck. Try again later. Yeah, yeah right? That, that, no, that is a fair point because there, there's so many facets of that. First of all, the like professional, young, downwardly mobile thing. The only thing they like about the EU, and I think that like any decently socialist politician should be advocating for, is basically my mates come from other EU countries. I don't want them to see them gone. Like, that's basically it, right? Because like, that's why I back it. I live in Germany and I'm Irish. <laughs> Please don't send me away. Um, but like, you can have that policy without being in the EU. That's what the kind of like labor position became. Uh, you can talk about how successful that was, but they did have that whole like, even if we leave the EU, we will maintain freedom of movement. And that's the only real big like material aspect of the EU that people care about. Other than the shock of we like going back to our original currencies and what that could like mean in short term. But like th- there's an anxiety there. The, but the thing that I think is the harder thing to get past is undoing the very media, right-wing media driven and successfully reached the traditional working class quotation marks, uh, xenophobia that has been instilled in that generation of like the fear of the Romanians and the Poles who will take your jobs and, 
all this kind of stuff. Like the, the this I remember this being brought up in like DM twenty five discussions of like how do we square the fact that like some of the biggest people pushing against like EU integration or EU like um, immigrants like a, a, a somewhat disenfranchised class within a country uh, are unions. Like they're the ones who are just like saying the German unions, which due to this well, what social market system they have, are decently big players in like everyday life. Like that, I think that's the hurdle. There is like, how do you reach those people and say, uh, the guy who speaks that weird romance language that it grew up in a Slavic context, he's fine. Uh, be nice to him. Like that's the that I think that's the hardest thing you have to deal with. I think the the youth, diverse, urban people are very easy to like. Will maintain freedom of movement. You can keep your Romanian friends. Like that, I think that's very easy to compare it to the other one. Um, so it, n- this is basically where the argument is coming mm. to its close, back to this idea of populism. Because unsaid in that division we just brought up, is left populism to blame? Is left populism <clears throat> an unsuccessful vehicle for wedding these two? Like you said, they could just be two parties. Yeah. Like is this populist idea uh, unsuccessful for wedding them together i mean the two parties strategy also has like a lot of potential flaws <laughs> of what if they don't work together which is what's happening in just, spain <laughs> just the point okay it is a serious question whether these masses still exist today I, I jump below but it's referring to the masses in the 1930s on the move mm. um, the internet has pulverized the traditional social sphere while making possible new forms of association but it has also decreased the possibility for mass mobilization and made politics bewilderingly volatile in March 2019, Paul Mason, ooh, he's back, posted a comment on his Twitter feed in which he claimed that the Brexit process, recently rattled by another parliamentary rejection, was, quote, now in the hands of the masses. The strange nature of this statement speaks volumes about today's populist moment. Contemporary populists, that's in quotations, like Boris Johnson, Salvini, and Orban, might have their followers, sympathizers, likers, and sharers, but they hardly have masses. Masses can move, march, chant, fight. None of that exists in 2019. The new populism is no mass affair. Rather, it's the politics of a swarm. Swarms roam, rage, scream, only to end in monotonous drones. Their movements are headed not by party tribunes, but by what Paolo Gerbaudo has called hyperleaders, figures whose media presence imparts coherence to a coalition where otherwise there would be none. There is no Trumpism without Trump. Mm. Um, I, I think the Trump example actually, like, I was like, I'm not sure if I agree with this argument, but the Trump example does nail it. I mean... Not in the sense that Trump, uh, not in the sense of the typical liberal argument that Trump suddenly made these people more right wing, but it absolutely gave coherence to an idea. And if Trump died tomorrow, again, classic Swedish saying, um, <laughs> that would absolutely like decohere the uh, the movement of Trumpism. Yeah, it, you know, it, it, it's- I don't I don't see an immediate someone else to step up and cohere the movement in the way he does. I always say in the sense that like the left needs someone like that. Like I know that but, we like, but is that, but is that just a populism? That no, I don't give a shit. If, I mean, that's socialist. I mean, like we like to fucking, I, I, I love this then with leftists who like, don't want to admit that we have like our fucking daddy issues where it's like, fuck for Christ's sake. Like we all, except for maybe Kieran, like fucking, uh, uh, non-ironically worship like Marx and Lenin and Engels and I worship my dad. Yeah, but you know <laughs> my dad's but it's cool. But you know, but like it's it's in the sense of the fact of that like 
I do think that like Bernie has that like little bit of potential, and Corbin had that too. It's like there's nothing bad about having a nice like you know a a guy that you like. I think Trumpism is a little extreme because they're like I will fucking die for you, sir. But it's nice to have someone like a charismatic person to put in a face with a movement. There's nothing bad about that. Is it, is it is it authoritarian or whatever? I don't give a shit. I really don't because in the end, if it's authoritarian or not, like the the goal uh, of what a Bernie or a Corbyn can do and what like the fucking shit that they can change yeah. is means a shit ton to a lot of people, you know, especially a people then who are going to be who are being stepped on by Trump or put in cages or whatever. Um, or in now the UK, just this weird austerity hellhole that we're going to potentially be seeing. Yep. Like ripping yourself out of capitalism is going to be authoritarian. Like don't let people fucking bully you around being like, oh, but the left's authoritarian. Yeah, dude, it is. And but, fucking capitalism isn't. But like, in that sense, you need someone better than Trump. Because Trump, the idea of Trump no, no, is that he's the perfect. He's yeah. like a dullard who tweets all the time, who was perfect for cohering the movement. Yeah, yeah. While and I think goes. Bernie has a lot of the, like, like there is, I think Bernie does have that. I think that Corbyn has that. Um, but I'm saying that's not enough to, I'm, okay, so yeah. I, I did skip a part in, in here where he talks about the task for right-wing populists is much easier than the task for left-wing populists. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I, I, I do. As Yashamunk says. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Yashamunk, you know, you gotta yeah, give credit. If I continuously make these articles about why you shouldn't vote for the left, then the right will keep winning, yeah. yeah. No, there is there is something then in, inherently, I think within the mentality of people then who are just right-wing in general, like it's easier for them to then be attracted to a bulbous idiot like Salvini or Trump or Boris Johnson and be like, this is me. That rigatone recipe was so good. Though. Yeah, but I mean, like, like <laughs> there is <laughs> there is something that's, like, like, really normal about all three of them, you know? Boris Johnson, literally his whole fucking scheme is that he's so dopey that, like, you know, people like him, and I don't understand why. I think he's the most vulgar figure in politics. More vulgar than Trump. I, I just cannot I look at him. Like PewDiePie. I don't know why someone would go watch I think it's very hard for people who didn't grow up in, like, with British television to understand, but there was this, like, kids' cultural icon called Mr. Blobby, who... That sounds like Boris Johnson. It is Boris Johnson, except it just didn't speak. Um, Damn, I like Mr. Bobby better already. Yeah, right. But like this, I think this also kind of leads to like an internal weakness. So this this is a typical anarchist criticism of just like why having one leader is bad is because there is like the inherent weakness of that. If if that guy goes, then what happens to the movement? Like I know we're all saying kind of optimistically now that with Corbyn, who will be Bernie Stalin? Yeah, basically. <laughs> um, and who will he be as Trotsky? <laughs> But the uh, ooh, that's an interesting question. But, um, but like it is, uh, it is kind of this this issue now because we're saying we are saying now that with Corbyn gone, we can a lot of people in the labor in left in labor in the UK who backed this project are saying it was never about Corbyn; it was about what he believed. We can find someone else, and I'm hoping that's very true. Yeah, I'm hoping that all works out. But there's also the possibility that it doesn't. Um, because if you wrap it all up in, like, as Rob was saying, with Trump gone, what do you, what do? Like, imagine if we were the, the nega universe version of this podcast where we were worrying about the future of fascism. But, like, <laughs> uh, but like if Trump's gone, what do? Who replaces him? I also feel that's very similar for Salvini. I don't know. 
I don't know anyone who has. There's enough. There are enough bumbling idiots in Italy there, there, to there fucking. Definitely is, there's definitely a lot of people who think they could, <laughs> but the the thing is, um, a part of this like right populism definitely, and the left has kind of attempted to do it. Um, well, no, not as viciously, but the aspect of the right populism is the strongman image where Salvini is the big boy of Lega because there's almost an aspect of no one else in the party is allowed to be. Like, no one can approach the king because I am the king. Therefore, when I'm gone, this whole system, this whole thing we've built is fucked. Um, so that, that that's an aspect of it. But then, then you get into this issue of, like, can we even disperse this power? Uh, can we have what? Who wins? Like a a, a hundred Salvini-sized Corbins or one Corbin-sized Salvini? Like, 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 how do you disperse this power and still have like a central figurehead and be like a rallying point or whatever? But again, the rallying point also becomes a target for the Yasha monks of the world being like, I don't know about Corbin's anti-Semitism. Like, there's so many questions, and I'm hoping. After this Iran war thing is dealt with, we can finally <laughs> answer it. And but time have, to buy war bonds. I just can't wait when we appoint the Ayatollah to head the European Union. Guys, I literally... Sorry if this is, like, makes me privileged or whatever. I literally forgot there was a fucking war with Iran starting when we were talking about this stuff. <laughs> I was like, you know, these are hard problems, so we can work through them. There's a fucking war that's about to... Oh. It's sometimes, it's sometimes the problem <laughs> when we have this podcast is like we focus on European politics and there's like all this shit going on elsewhere. I'm like, eh. um, yeah. um, on, I, a, on a counteract though to that, like I kind of think of in the sense of like we have not about the Iran war. Um, yeah. I want to forget about that as quickly as I possibly buy can. War bonds. Buy war bonds. <laughs> war. Yeah. Um, support support the uh, the, the great. War bonds. Yeah. <laughs> Please. <laughs> um. I'm just thinking of like a, uh, like the scenario of a of a leader then who was not very, yeah, who wasn't like a Salvini or Corbyn or Sanders, and like the one that comes to my mind is is Tsipras, mm. and what would that situation then have been like if Tsipras like had a fucking backbone, yeah. you know? Because I- that was a that that was a thing, and then like it was like Syriza was definitely then like okay, first off like Yanis Varoufakis was like by far more liked and celebrity status than Tsipras was. Mm. And in all that, like, I mean, Tsipras is just a fucking joke. I mean, you have that one weird party that existed, like Movimento Alexi Tsipras that existed in oh, Italy, Italy for like yeah, a split yeah, second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they tried to make him into this figure that he just couldn't be. I mean, the, given... The socialism stuff, don't really care. I just love Tsipras. I just love Dude, Alexi so Tsipras. Cool. He's a thought. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it's like, what what would that have then been like if like, let's say like the rules were switched around and someone like Varoufakis then headed that party and then Tsipras mm. was then, you know, in the role of... of and I... Could that have maybe done something different in Greece? Like, would that then, like, would he have been able to stand up to Europe and the uh, IMF and the ECB or whatever, you know, the austerity, or, you know, I mean, we have, like, the the transcripts of what, like, Yanis did with speaking with, like, Wolfgang Schäuble and stuff like that, but that kind of, yeah, I don't know, like... What would then that that movement in Greece? I mean, I mean, cities that got, uh, got fucking decimated, like yeah, horribly. Yep. To where parts of the party left, joined uh, other parties. Joined other parties. They had to fill in, like they had to scramble for people to fill seats, and they got like YouTube celebrity, liberal YouTube celebrities to fill the seats. Like it was garbage. Um, there, 
there is like a there is a kind of a, a counter to my own point, I guess, or like my concerns, which I think we might see tested in particularly in the United States and maybe the UK to a certain extent, which is rather than what the right wing populists are doing, which is like the one central figure, and as soon as that figure is gone all the other underlings are going to draw out the knives and start murdering. That that woman who's from um, Fratelli d'Italia, like, as soon as Sylvie, like, if Savini's, like, like killed in Minecraft, um, she's she's coming knives out for, like, everything he's built. I guarantee you. Um, but, like... Sorry, I'm just imagining still, like, a Greek YouTube star being, like, Georgios Rassismos or something yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Subscribe to my playthrough uh, of, of Tetris, where I read the Elders of Zion conspiracy theory. So it's put into the record on Google. Um, yeah, so, like, I think the thing that we're seeing in the States, uh, States maybe more so than the UK, but the UK did a little bit of this as well, that might be tested, which is almost... You have the cult of personality at the top. You have this, like you know, jam grandpa and um, angry Brooklyn grandpa. Um, But you also have like a celebrity left-wing council kind of forming, I'm thinking like in the States with the squad, um, as like these other figures that help build the movement. Um, That's kind of like what I'm thinking. I think also in the UK, similarly, you have, not only do you have Corbyn, but you also had like, mcdonald john mcdonald who was like the shadow chancellor of the exchequer that's where all the like the big dickage fully costed socialist policies were like really coming from he was like corbyn was the face john mcdonald was like and here's the idea fully planned out um i think that's the that kind of shit i feel like just doesn't exist with these right-wing movements like we really like to find the fucking gals to find the like fail sons and whatever and the weird shit they're doing in like hungary or whatever we have to go digging whereas it's very easy for us to find out about these like left-wing movements and the like right-hand man the other like trusted people i think it's i think that might be the way to disperse this so you're not completely dependent on the one guy at the top yeah true but we have to see how that works out for labor. I, th- I think ending the end of this article will clarify uh, these arguments a bit. I just yeah. want to make a note. Clone Bernie, and then uh, we bring him to um, a planet that's very far away, and then he makes his socialist army. Make them all duck-sized Bernies. Yeah. <laughs> and then they, um, they uh, threaten to uh, create socialism with their... Uh, Undead Bernie army. You make a Bernie centaur, which is the body of Bernie, and where the head of Bernie is is just the torso up of a Bernie. <laughs> just Bernie <laughs> No, but with six limbs. <laughs> I, I feel like a, I feel like the dungeon master being like, "Oh, but you're you're all concerned with the question of the leader when it's the populist form that's the problem." Yeah, no, no, definitely is. I think we like. I think we. Uh, I think we just need to fucking just go back to normal socialism. But um, yeah, how do? Um, also, <laughs> yeah, by let the him, w- let him be asking that question. Um, <laughs> by the way, Bernie Stalin is Tulsi Gabbard. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, they're both <laughs> Stalin and Tulsi, both hot. Right. <laughs> A new sack of potatoes is the last title. Is the se- title of the last section? Perhaps the most powerful precedent for this situation can be found in Karl Marx's readings of the 1848 revolution. Damn, King. At the start of that year, riots had swept through Paris, stirred by a food crisis that depressed incomes for urban workers. Instead of yielding to this agitation, however, Napoleon III rallied an apathetic farming population and ordered them to quash the revolt. 
Memorably, Marx described French peasants as a, quote, sack of potatoes, a, quote, simple accretion whose, quote, similarity of interest produces no community, no national linkage, and no political organization. And since these farmers couldn't represent themselves, they had to be represented, in this case, by a king. It was precisely such a top-down push that some left populists sought to provide for our era. A disorganized society simply might need an organizational stir from above. This option is still on the table. Not all of Europe's left populist experiments have fizzled out. Corbyn and Shadow Chancellor John McDonnell, sorry, again written in the past, for instance, have always made it clear that their primary goals will, will remain, quote, pre-political, making possible forms of organizing rendered inane by 30 years of neoliberal onslaught. This would include repealing British anti-union laws, introducing mandatory unionization, and giving workers shares in companies. Mm. Given the Brexit crisis, this path now appears secondary. Paul Mason, for instance, finds himself marching on Downing Street rather than Syntagma Square for a canceled Brexit. It is unlikely that this tactic will materialize without occasional shocks. Okay, so... Why would you be marching in Syntagma Square for Brexit? <laughs> I mean, I guess that's the problem, right? Like, why we care about Brexit? Oh, God, I'm imagining EU Supergirl at Syntagma Square. <laughs> She's being pelted by anarchists. <laughs> History is not linear. But parliamentary work remains equally important. Modernizing the British state, ridding it of its aristocratic hangovers, and restoring full sovereignty would be the first task of a Corbynism in power. This would make possible the reconstitution of a working-class public sphere. Once that is achieved, politics will finally be possible again, and populism and technocracy will hopefully no longer be the only games in town. So I think that conclusion is what is the added point to everything we're saying, where the figure the hyper leader as that uh, whatever theorist use mm. the term is necessary in order to unlock the handcuffs at least at this period in time yeah. uh, that's certainly the corbin's um the plans of like, plans yeah. Yeah. and for bernie's credit whatever problems anyone might have with him uh it's about it's He's those just, it's those pre-political just, concerns it's those six limbs i can't fucking deal with <laughs> yeah. it's i mean it's the idea that he's not yeah, I mean, honestly, he's not AOC. He's not brought up in this like we're going to have all the right plans and do this and that. He is always has been trying to redo the political math. Uh, yeah, yeah. Which is so you could say I, I, I guess he's ending the argument saying you could decry populism all you want, but that's that's the card we're de- that's the hand we're dealt right now. Yeah. Um, and you need a populist figure to kind of flick the first domino in order to go back to that old good stuff of building socialism. Yeah. Uh, what so do you guys think about that? that I, I, I kind of agree with that. I think so for, because for me that that's more kind of like a little bit of what I'm talking about of just like, rather than being wholly top down, which I feel like the right wing populists are being, there is the building of the bottom up stuff as well. Like Bernie and Corbyn's kind of like fixation on unions. Um, I don't know. I feel like there's like more space for like a local immediate. Actually, no, this is a good example. Spain, a lot of the left wing movements in Spain are actually focusing on like radical municipalist politics of like, not only are these people at the top, like running around in Madrid, there's also just like, Hey, we're making your immediate local issues more democratic. You guys are fucking in charge. Remember we did this for you, but like it, it changes things so that it's not this like weird, um, wholly top-down thing that like the right-wing populists are definitely doing there's like nothing like that at the base of salvini's movement of orban's movement of any of their movements yeah yeah i mean uh i think you the example that you just gave of aoc kind of like hits on the like 
head because I know that I said that then like, okay, yeah, like I can't really imagine Bernie or Corbin's moving without then these persons. But at the same time, it's like, how many people have we seen being inspired by Bernie and Corbin enter within politics? Even people then who aren't um, running for office or whatever. And yeah, like, like in the, I'm sorry to go back to the U.S., but who has been inspired by Trump to then run for office other than like na- no-named neo-Nazis? The only person I can put a name and a face to because he's so stupid is Dan Crenshaw. And Dan Crenshaw would have existed in American politics anyway. You know, he would have won his fucking, you know, moon-shaped district in all that just, yeah. like, surrounds the rich areas of Houston no matter what. Yeah. He's not a part of this movement because yeah. of Trump or anything. You know, they're, like, where AOC is in the House because of Bernie. You know, Elon Omar is in the house because of Bernie's movement. And that's you, ignoring like all the kind of like state legislatures. Of where course, got, like, yeah. Like, more radically socialist. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Or like in the sense of the UK, like I, I, I mean, I don't know the the uh, ins and outs of it that well, but I mean, like one of the things that I always thought was so amazing was the um, like Grime for Corbyn. Yeah. You know, not a political party or whatever, but you would not have that mobilization. Of these type of 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 you know artists and 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 people, my favorite example is just like seeing like Stormzy fucking do things yeah. with kids is really cool, and how that Way more popular than my ska for Corbin unit. <laughs> pick it but, up, pick it up, pick up a vote. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, how you have how you have these 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 people who are who are very much in tune with politics who then are obviously not going to stop doing what they're doing. And yeah, the right, yeah, after Trump goes, or if they don't just like amend the constitution or whatever to make sure that he could, I mean, um, no one's, no one can replace that. And there is like much more, I would say like an authoritarian complex than within that ideology of just finding, you know, their, you know, um, squishy boy that they can, well, we at least can then we like the policy is a thing that then is, is what's appealing and then, okay, yeah, we get a cool dude like Bernie Sanders or Jeremy Corbyn or uh, Germany has no one. <laughs> Germany has no one. Yeah. Uh, it, it is, I still like, maybe I'm hammering this home too much, but I still feel like the problem with the right-wing populace would be that like there is this sense of everyone else who is inspired by Trump or whatever, it, or Salvini, is like really just too afraid of the moment because the whole, like their ideology of right makes uh, might makes right. Like they're too afraid to approach like them at this moment because they're 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 afraid that this will be viewed as interference, and you just have to wait until Salvini or Trump is gone for whatever reason, and then it's my moment to shine. Without accounting for the fact that like maybe you're just not as good as you fucking think you are, and as soon as you attempt this, it's all gonna fucking fall flat in its face, which it will for probably several of them. Maybe one will get through, but yeah, like I, I just imagine like a million. Uh, what's his name? Uh, the Mormon who ran against Obama, Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney. There's a million Mitt Romneys after like Trump, all thinking they could do what he did, and then it all just fucking falling apart. Yeah, I fucking forgot about Mitt Romney. Yeah, I Damn. did as well. There's, um, <laughs> I think, I think this really interesting piece, but I think he leaves us with a few. So he he he. What what he leaves us with is a hey, populism. No surprise that it's popular now. It's completely reflective of our time. Mm. And 
maybe if you harness it, you can kind of, you know, get you the ball rolling. All the again. Dragon Balls. You yep. can you can yeah, restart history. But he doesn't. I mean, he brought Take up that this, Fukuyama. He, he 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 brought up this politics policy divide. He doesn't really say how the politi- like if they're really divided, how is the cap recapturing the politics going to get you back? Emphasis over the policy and like the whole EU thing, which again seems to be one of the most um, hardened divisions, at least in some parts of Europe. Um, to this in this whole populist mm-hmm. thing, how are you going to get around that? Um, which is kind of we have all the answers clearly. But subscribe <laughs> to the Patreon. All, 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 all I want to add to that is that I do think one extra criticism of populism needs to be leveled at it, which is back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the episode with the, this idea: is populism just a rebranded? socialism or is it something different and i do think it is something different in the way i said where it's kind of this assumption of this kind of lib technocracy this kind of like what we we should just you know we have the tools why don't we why don't we do this um and i I, and i think more theoretically populism accepts and reflects the end of history it's not a mistake that was the mid-80s where this started becoming popular, and it's now where it's taken hold. Because Marxism, you can, you can argue what's the, what's the real underlying, what's the foundational thing of Marxism. Um, Juicy labor, Colonel. <laughs> um, I do think one of the, and if you look at Marx's life, it's a theory, cool. it's a theory of history. And when there's no more history how the fuck are you supposed to theorize history? And so what you have in populism instead is a dehistoricized mass. There's people, there's a mass who knows how it got there, <laughs> who knows how it's changing, show up and you're part of it. You know what I mean? And I do think that's, while you can say that reflects the age more, I do think the, un, the, the lack of history is fundamentally like a block over people. Um, the, the, and, and the technology can't, <laughs> you know, you can't reshuffle the deck in terms of, uh, oh, how did the, you know, um, we can start from scratch. We can do this. We can do that. I mean, because the material, that's materially not how no. anything has happened. Um, so I do think that that's, you can't whisk that back with just one leader, um, which would be my point. Not that that helps that much. Unless it is Nick. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess on that note, uh, fuck you, Francis Fukuyama, for canceling history. We're going to bring it back. <laughs> You know, uh, history didn't just die; it was assassinated by uh, capitalism in order to make you accept the, uh, or, or better yet, uh, it expropriated the the uh, tools of analysis you might have to consider a problem such as the uh, uh, global warming, or something like that. Damn, that's crazy. <laughs> I really like the idea of history being cancelled by Francis Fukuyama as if he just like tweeted just being like, guys, I looked into some to, some of history's past tweets. Uh, you know, witch burnings, genocide. I'm, I'm not making any conclusions. Just investigate yourself. <laughs> but um, yeah, if you are, uh, if you happen to like history and uh, you think that it's a cool, uh, you know, treadmill of, you know, how uh, we go about this class struggle thing, mm. then uh, um, then you're in the right place. I don't know. I don't fucking, like... Uh, what? <laughs> you dropped that fucking pen so many times. Yeah. Um, uh, we mentioned this the other week um, mm-hmm. about... Uh, yeah, if you like the show, uh, obviously, you know, we, we did start up a Patreon for the new year. Happy New Year. Give us money. Woo! Um, 
if you uh, there isn't any extra content up yet, unfortunately, we're gonna be we're, we're getting to that soon. Great How, pitch. Yeah, yeah, no, fucking suck <laughs> at this. However, um, kind of in the fine print too. If you want the extra content when it comes out, um, just you know slide into our DMs um, if you can't afford it or whatever, because we can very much understand. Um, struggle yeah the struggle be real history history is real and uh class struggle is real so uh yeah i mean just like you can hit us up if you don't if you can't afford the the five is it euros or dollars i have no idea dollars cool yeah Yeah. so check out the patreon over Uh, here we're all uh, all about that dying camp yeah i don't know what that word was supposed to be but camp oh (laughs) dying camp (laughs) Yeah, uh, uh, check out the Patreon. Check out our our other interesting content that doesn't exist yet, and uh, we'll see you guys all next week. Bye.